Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. We've got an exciting one today. We're recording on January 20th, which is it's an important day in the country's history, Jack, because this marks one month until the start of Jamie football spring season. Jamie football will go undefeated with Kyle Adams as a starting quarterback. <laughs> a lot of people are saying Kyle Adams is the future. I, did, I saw that. We tweeted something from... Uh, Jamie Sports News, which if you aren't following us on Twitter, go ahead and give us a follow at Jamie Sports News. You can check us out on Facebook too and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Um, a majority of our listeners come from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. So just go ahead and give us subscribe and give us five stars, please. Please. All 60, 60 of you guys, which thank you, 60 of you, for listening. Go ahead and give us a, a subscribe and five star rating. But what was I, what I was saying on Twitter? We tweeted about um, that crazy Morse to Amadi pass, full court pass, <laughs> and I just jokingly tweeted, "If Jamie football still in the market," and we had a couple of people uh, say they have Kyle Adams, they're fine. Um, I don't know how tongue in cheek that is. It is over <laughs> social media, so that very well could be extremely sarcastic. We don't think Kyle Adams is going to be the starter. I think all um, one day, one day, maybe, one probably day. not. All signs. We said that about Cole Johnson, and look where Cole is. Um, Cole but Johnson's going to start this year. <laughs> I was going to say, I think all signs Cole to start for this football season. But one month, it doesn't feel like it's that close. I don't. In the back of my mind, there's something saying it's not going to happen, and I really want it to. But there's just something that does not make it feel that close. I think it's the cancellations. You know, we've got <laughs> yeah. A lot I mean, of... I, you don't hear any news about good things about this spring football season. I think there's a bunch every of people day we're reading about a new cancellation. Yeah, there's some people dropping out and, and things like that. Um, Hero Sports kind of following them because they are ones who probably tweet about it the most. So I've seen some people dropping out. You've got other conference coaches and commissioners who are putting out statements that are like, "We're going full steam ahead." So it's <laughs> we'll see what happens. I do think Jamie will play football games this spring. Yeah. I have no idea what it means in terms of how many, how the CAA will actually play out, but I think they're going to attempt to play at least some games. Do you think they allow fans in the stands? Maybe limited at some point because it is an outdoor venue, and I think you can get – I actually don't know what the number is right now um, in Virginia if it changed for outdoor. I think it might only be like 250 or something, so – if they do, 
it might just be like families of, of players and coaches and things like that. But hopefully they get at least a few people in there just because I think there are people nearby who you could do it safely with and, you know, better than completely empty stadium. Yeah. I think outdoor venue is something I feel me personally, if they allowed fans, I think I'd make a trip down to Harrisonburg. I'd feel very safe um, attending a game outdoors Atlantic bank and union, whatever it's called. I, I don't know how safe I would feel in there with coach. O saying it feels like outdoors, but it's I mean, still it, indoors. yeah, it is an outdoor venue. <laughs> <laughs> so about that, but, but a quick prediction, JMU, do they go undefeated? I think if they play all their eight games, yeah. Uh, it's a pretty weak schedule. They kind of lucked out with that. Um, I guess it was Towson, right, that that opted out and sort of shifted the whole dynamic of those divisions a little I bit. So they, they've, yeah, so they've got a four-team division. So they're playing, what, double headers against William, Mary, Elon, and Richmond? <laughs> I think I think Jamie likes how that sets up. And uh, I was kinda, it was kind of funny. Greg Medea had tweeted the – uh, tiebreakers if there was a tie at the top of the colonial athletic association at the end of the year and i think the first one was like head-to-head <laughs> it was like okay well none of them are playing <laughs> like if jmu ties they're JMU not going to tie a team albany. from their division yeah they're going to tie like an albany or a villanova and they're going to obviously have no head-to-head <laughs> whatever and then, so it'll, it gets and then after head-to-head it's um combined record against uh similar opponents it is isn't it I think that's, I think that's was, actually, I, I like think those. it was, it was something where it was like, why don't we just go to number three right away? <laughs> like, I guess, I guess, you know, there's a chance that it's two North teams or whatever that tie, but I think Jamie with the schedule is pretty favorable. They've also got two non-conference games that are um, cupcakes. So those will be, you know, pretty easy victories there. It's not a hard schedule at all. And with the hiring of John Miller, you know, these running backs are going to be ready to go. I'm excited about that one because he started his JMU career as a running back and then switched to receiver where he obviously I did not know that. Yeah, he had a couple of big-time catches there. You've got the SMU touchdown to win and then obviously the sort of insurance touchdown in the Fargo Dome against NC State. NC State is Fargo Dome. (laughs) What a matchup between ACC Power that wanted to host a game in Fargo. (laughs) No, but against North Dakota State. So excited to have him on the staff. He's – I think it'll be interesting. He was a – Someone that I had a, a business class with, he's a pretty nice guy and obviously a really good receiver, so good for him. And coming from Texas. Coming from Texas, where they did some some uh, things. <laughs> they played. Not <laughs> so always that one, the best quarterback like. in the uh, draft this year. That's just <laughs> – is he even in the draft? I don't know. Okay, let's, not enough football talk. We've we've gotten that yes. out of the way. Don't yeah, be- we got to get into it into the basketball squads. Yeah, what we all came here for, what everyone tunes into this podcast is our <laughs> un, unrivaled basketball content where we just sit here and complain about it all. But yeah. I don't think there's much to complain about right now. They're coming off of two wins against Division One opponents, one win away from getting three in a row, um, which is the first time since, what, 2018? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, look, Mark Byington has changed this program. This is a program that – People view them with a Duke, with a Kentucky right now, because both those teams kind of stink and they're right around 500. Just like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, they've won two games in a row. They opened conference play with a win. I mean, I think our, <laughs> I was laughing. They've won three this. games in a row. Technically, they've won three games in a row. Yes, Do yes. So three in a row. Chowin. Three. <laughs> one. <laughs> three in a row. Two against Division One opponents. Um, it's the first three game winning streak. Like, 
I don't think they had one last year, even including those non-D1 games. So it's the first three-game three winning streak in a while. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, – I was watching the game, and I was kind of laughing because I was like, wow, I really hope they pull this out. And then I was like, you know, they're playing a Towson team that's like 280 in Ken Palm, and I'm like, come on. <laughs> this would be huge for the program. They're 280 in Ken Palm, and they were missing their number one player, Zane Martin, right. out, and like – there, okay, so a quick like analysis of the game, if you can call it that. At the beginning of that game, it felt like Towson was the far better team. Like, yes. did you get that feeling too of like when you're watching it and like you look at the score and you're like, Jamie's only down three. Towson, like through the first probably 15 minutes of that game, I was like, Jamie has the lead or Jamie's only down two. Was, the whole time I was watching it, I thought Towson was out rebounding them, better shooting, like across the board i felt like towson was the better team and then all of a sudden you blink and jmu caught fire from behind the arc in that first half and just like pulled away and then in the second half just kind of kept them at arm's length they hit the shots when they needed to me and you have different um feelings on when they started to drain the clock with about eight minutes left and we'll get into that but like Every time Towson kind of cut into the lead, a clutch three was hit or a little spurt by Matt happened. It was a, it was a game I've, I don't think I've ever seen out of JMU. Yes, and that's I have my little list today. I rarely have a list of, of things I want to get to, so I'm, I'm excited here. We'll have to get into the the slow burn of the offense, which which ended up working out pretty nicely. So you you've got the edge there on that take, but but, but that take uh, so I, think I understand was, your side on that take. Yeah, it was. It's good to see them close out a game, though. Uh, and yeah, I totally agree with you. At the beginning, the first few minutes of the game, I was like, "Oh, this would be really fun to watch JMU lose by 25." <laughs> like I thought they were going to get blown out of the gym because they just. Because at one it. point, it was they were like Towson, like made. I don't. I don't remember it exactly, but they made their first couple of shots and JMU missed. And I think it was like seven to two at one point, and it was just kind of like a feeling, as sad as this is how how distraught we are as JMU fans. It was seven to two, and it felt like the game was out of reach. Well, I mean, when you go and you come off a season when they went two and sixteen in conference play, plus the immediate loss in the conference tournaments, or two and seven, or like, did they even play it? They did play, right? And they lost, and then yeah, unfortunately, everyone else can say like they didn't have a real conference champion. Yet the CAA managed to squeak theirs in right before the world ended. Yeah, but I mean, but they gave up. Thir- you is not a CAA champion. <laughs> It was just, it was rough. And I think we've sort of all been scarred and it was a, yeah, they went up 13 to six in the first four and a half minutes. They were scoring kind of with ease. Jamie's defense was terrible early on. Uh, and that was kind of my biggest concern. And then obviously you said they caught fire. They hit 10 threes in the first half, second half kind of held on, but they scored a bunch. Matt Lewis had 30 points on 14 shots. He made <laughs> nine threes. It seemed like every time he put up a shot, it was going in. I mean, he had one of the best performances I've ever seen him play at, at JMU. That was We've seen some great Matt performances, like the Radford game, kind of putting the team on his back against a receiving votes Radford team. Um, but I, but overall, like just that three point clinic he put on nine of twelve is just you don't see that you don't see that in college basketball. And it was just kind of really funny listening to the Towson announcers every time he nailed a three. They were like, "Well, he hasn't hit from inside the arc." Um, which was quite about, an interesting rebuttal to someone going nine of 12 from deep. We got to talk about the flow <laughs> disconnect. When you get JMU, there's like, you've obviously got Kurt Dudley and most of the time this year it's, it's just been him. 
And there's obviously a little bit of JMU love. And of course, he's got more knowledge about JMU. But it's a very fair broadcast. It's a very fair broadcast. You watch these like road games, man. And they're <laughs> even Elon, I thought, with the student announcers, did a better job than, than the oh, Towson broadcast. You've got the I, color I, guy who I think <laughs> played in Towson. And the man's actively rooting for them to miss. I mean, Matt Lewis catches the ball wide open at three. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> There's just so many points where you heard him. There was Matt hit a. It was probably one of like the dagger threes near the end of the game, and you heard him just go, "No," and it was like, "Bro," or like, like, like yeah, like Madison is fantastic, and I think we take for granted how great Madison is. And Kurt, of course, like you said, has a little bit more, a little bit more bias, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily like he's rooting for them to win. It's more he's rooting for a good game and he knows more about JMU. So like, right. of course he's going to have more tidbits when JMU goes on a run and Matt's nine of 12, he's going to give you more information than if Towson is nine for 12 from like that type of thing, which is just like the inherent bias of having these home commentators. Um, right. But Towson was just outwardly rooting, like outwardly questioning calls outwardly, like s- sad when things happened against Towson and, it kind of took away from the broadcast and I'm not trying to turn this into a screw Towson commentating team. I understand it's tough. And I understand that like you probably weren't getting paid all that much. And I understand that flows hard in the way that mid-major basketball set up. So I'm not trying to just keep shoveling on this, these guys, but man, it was bad. And I think it's, I don't know if I'm on a discounted rate or what, but it's basically 12 bucks a month, um, which is, you know, it's very similar to like legitimate streaming services. So it's, it's kind of an expensive buy. If not more. Yeah. So it's, I think it's really plus is five bucks a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like movies, like I'm getting these like award winning caliber movies on streaming services. Instead I get this choppy feed against Towson and it's like, I don't want to watch, if I watch a game and Jamie loses, I'm probably gonna be like a little bit upset. If I have to be more upset because I just listened to, you know, Homer announcers like pile on all game, that's really frustrating. So I understand more knowledge and maybe a little bias, but to out, like when a kid, when a 22 year old kid pulls up from three and the color guy wants him to miss, like, don't tell me that. Like you could, if you want to root for that internally, you're a Towson guy, sure. But don't go on the broadcast and be like, no, 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 no. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. no. Like, it also, it felt like a little bit for me, um, as a fan, I kind of tried to reverse it where I enjoyed it. And I was like, this is kind of hilarious to watch him just, like, rip the heart of the announcers. But it took away from his performance. He Like like you said, I mean, he's 9 of 14, 9 of 12 from 3. And they're talking about how he hasn't made a two-point shot. Who I, I for, like, coming out of that game, the, the talk, like, the national wrecking, Jeff Goodman, like the national talk was around Matt Lewis going nine of 12 and just destroy. I didn't realize he was having a great game. Like. It It was, it was incredibly frustrating and we'll stop harping on this, but it was just, it's frustrating for the guy to go out and he wins. I think it was like the U S basketball writers association or something named national player of the week, 30 points, eight assists, two turnovers. He had a block, he had a steal, a couple of rebounds. To score 30 points on 14 shots is unbelievable. And he's been playing great all year. And there were times where they gave him some credit and they mentioned how well he was playing. But to sit there and at times, you know, root for him to miss 
and talk about how what he hasn't done in the game. Like if the dude's, I mean, if the dude's like nine of twelve from three, why would he shoot a two? And it also just kind of like you have all of like because I did color for JMU, um, you did color for football. Like you have a lot yeah. of information at your fingertips in game, pregame, everything. Like you at that point when he's hitting nine of twelve, he's 30, 30 points on fourteen shots, eight assists. This is when you start talking about like. Wow, this guy is a legit CAA player of the year threat, picked preseason player yes. of the year. Like, this is a great performance. You don't say, well, he hasn't hit from inside the two point line, like inside the three point line. He's 0 for 2 on two pointers. Like, okay, he still dropped 30 points on your butts and beat you. And I mean, Towson hadn't played in a while. Like, they had a lot of time to prep for the broadcast. Like, they should have been prepared. They should have known, like, if you're going to know one JMU player, you don't do any research on any others. You know Matt Lewis. So it's yeah. just kind of insane, um, a little frustrating, but obviously a great performance from Matt and, and good to see the team close out the victory. I still have lots of doubts and concerns. Someone, I think it was Brian Reese, had tweeted us after the game where he's like, I'm going to ignore all of these teams' flaws and just be happy about this win. I was like, yes. Because <laughs> yeah. okay. they've got some pretty clear – flaws uh, mostly on the defensive side let's jump into those because they're going to be exploited heavily when they play surprisingly the best team in the CAA Northeastern yeah so I think number one it's defensively they're not very consistent Towson's not a great offensive team we talked before the game about how they can't shoot it from three and they're five of 19 which is kind of what they do all the time obviously they were without their top scorer too but they were still able to do some nice things 15 offensive rebounds um, I mean, for Towson to turn the ball over 19 times and still score 72 points, I know there's a, a general quickness with JMU, so there's probably a decent amount of possessions. But for me, I'm concerned defensively. I'm very concerned about not having a post guy because there are times where they just get beat up on the on the glass. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it. Towson's not a good shooting team. They shot 46% from the field all game. You That's that's bad like Towson coming into the game was I think on the season what 30 percent upper 30s probably yeah shooting wise they're they're bad and then like at three for three I think they're right around like at 30 percent so I mean just that and then Justin Amati is a great player but he's not a CAA this is he's not a CAA five like he's a he's a CAA four he's a stretch wing he's He's an athletic player, but he is not a CAA five, and they're going to get beat up when they take on some of these teams that that have these bigger guys. And it just there are times when you just it feels like JMU is 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 in a good rhythm, but then all of a sudden, like the opponent starts ripping down offensive rebound, offensive rebound, and you're just kind of like they just had five shots in one possession, and they and you can't stop them. Yeah, I mean, they don't have a five except for Joel Mensa, and Joel Mensa's not not ready to play. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not really where he needs to be right now for them to, to lean on him. So it is on Amadi, who's not a five, he's six, seven, to kind of play the five. And he did solidly at 11 points and 10 rebounds. But uh, Michael Christmas had four rebounds. Nobody else outside of Amadi had five or more. So a little concerning there when you've got, you know, Amadi is your guy who gets your rebounds. I mean... They just need, I think they need some of the, the guys who are a little taller to step up. If you're Zach Jacobs, he had one rebound. If you're um, Julian Wooden, he had three. Terrence Edwards has been a, a bright spot rebounding. He only had one in this one. He didn't play. 
uh, a ton, only 11 minutes, but they need those guys to, it's got to be a gang effort rebounding because they don't have a five. And um, the one thing I will say, defensively, I don't think they're great. But I, I mentioned this to you. They're in a defensive stance. Like when they play man-to-man defense, they like their hands are up, dude. I've never, I don't think I've seen this in four years. I remember last year in, in the row era, their hands were basically in their pockets where they were not active defensively. And you're at least seeing the growth where they're clearly being coached to have their hands up and be a little active. It doesn't mean the defense is good because it's not. Uh, but it's, it's, I think there's room for improvement. They show flashes at times of like yeah. a defensive improvement. They just haven't put to, I mean, we we haven't seen a full game in four years where they play a good offensive game and defensive game for the full time. Um, and I'm excited to see that. And something that just jumps out at me hugely, we're talking about rebounds, not having a post. They've been out rebounded by 0.8 a game. So that's kind of absurd if you think about it, because they've played four games against division two or is it four games? Um, it's at least three. I think it's three against D one or NAIA opponents, which means you probably out rebounded them by 10 to 15 in that game. And then you're getting out rebounded so much in your D one games that your overall statistics are getting out rebounded by one. That's not, that's not a recipe for success. And that's going to, that's going to bite them in the butt down the stretch because there were games I remember we were talking about Devonte Kaycock and Nathan Knight off uh, off the air. There were games where those guys would just pull down twenty five rebounds and be the reason a team won, not because of their points, but because of just their rebounding prowess. And there's no one on JMU that can box. I know there isn't a Devonte Kaycock or a Nathan Knight out in the CAA right now, but there's other solid big men that um, are going to eat this defense alive. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And it's, it's frustrating sometimes when they, they struggle so much rebounding. And I think the only game they've out rebounded a division one opponent was East Carolina 34 to 28. So it's the only time they've actually done it this year. They've been out rebounded every other game against a D one foe. So yeah, like you're saying, um, and they, they actually didn't out rebound there. <laughs> their lesser foes by two, too much. They had a plus 14 against Alice Lloyd plus five against limestone, but against, Jawan, it was actually only plus one. So <laughs> some some interesting things there. Yeah, they have struggled the time. Jawan had 13 offensive rebounds from what I'm I don't know if at, that's so. I don't know if that's that helps the point I just made or undermines it. I, I'm afraid that 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 kind of shows that they're just a terrible rebounding team. I think that's part of it, but I think that it's, you know, they were able to sort of exert their size on like Alice Lloyd and at times against some other teams. So uh, Chuan also had some garbage offensive rebounds really late in that game uh, okay. when actually when Mensa was in. Um, so they were struggling a little bit at times, but I think that that's an issue, right? You don't have the bigs, but the, the thing we also talked about is like they are built like a small ball team in terms of the size and they finally shot the ball well as a small ball team. Like if you can make threes and be a small ball team, it works. If you can go, if you can go 15 of 32 from deep, you have a, every game you're going to be in as a small ball team. Yes. 100%. So, I mean, I guess we kind of just have to expect terrible rebounding performances when you're five is six, seven, and you rely so heavily on small ball and maybe because Matt's caught fire the last two games, maybe it's moving towards them more hitting their shots and, and, and being a more reliable shooting team um, where they don't have to rely on offensive rebounds or pulling down the defensive boards. But uh, I'll believe it when I see it. 
Same. Yeah, I think you kind of need to see these teams step up and, and start playing a little better. Um, so we'll see what the players are able to do. The one thing I did want to, we got to get to that slow burn because this is something that um, the Lewis Rowe era was plagued by was the inability to close a game. And you could see with maybe five or six minutes, if I'm right there, they started to really wind the shot clock and control clock and have slower half court possessions. And I was worried it was a little too early. I think you made a good point and we'll get, we'll start with you here. Um, that, you know, they were scoring so well in the half court and they were so efficient that it, it made sense. Like they're still scoring. Why push the pace? Is that kind of what you were feeling in this one? Yeah. And I mean, there were times where they did kind of get dry, like dry. Is that the right word to put it dry? <laughs> it sounds awkward. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> um, they just, they, they didn't hit their shots for a little bit. There were times like that when they were kind of slowing the pace, but overall, I mean, they had built, it was like a 15 point lead at the time. Maybe a little yeah. less, but they'd built a big enough lead where you kind of were thinking, well, if you're going to drain the full shot clock and then hit hit a shot every third possession or something like that, there, the way they were playing it, there was really no way Towson could kind of mount the full comeback. Like they're going to chip away at it. They were going to kind of make it seem like a comeback was happening, but the way everything was moving for JMU in that game. I liked starting the slow burn very early on because there's so many times in the Lewis Rowe era where they would just start running and running and then missing the shots. And so my whole thing was kind of like, they're going to miss these shots most likely either way. Why not burn 25 seconds of the shot clock off, shot clock off instead of burning five seconds off? Like that was kind of my thing. And every, what, you're going to burn a minute of clock per possession, not to mention if you're playing solid defense they're probably burning another 20 seconds in between that so I really like the move and I think it's something we've never seen before and it did it was kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday where they were hitting their shots and hitting them where they needed to Christmas nailed a huge three at one point I think Wooden did too Matt of course did every time Towson would pull to say within like eight or seven they pull up and drain and then all of a sudden Towson's back and has to climb back in and it was going to be tough because they were slow burning. So I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, it was interesting. I think one of the things that stood out to me was the row era. They, I don't think they would do it with that much time, but there were times where maybe they'd be up five or like two minutes left or three minutes left and they'd go slow and it would end with Matt scrambling to create something. They would dribble at the top. Offense, they would just dribble. Half <laughs> the half court offense was terrible. <clears throat> and it's it's not anymore. I think they've done some some better things with the half court to get guys open and yeah. distribute the ball. And part of that is Matt's just made a big leap this year. He's a better passer than I think he's ever been. So um, that certainly helps. But yeah, it made sense in this game because their half court offense actually looked good. So I kind of like that they were able to do that and kill the clock and just, you know, suffocate the life out of a game. It's something we haven't seen from them. And I'll also say this. It was kind of, um, I think there were, I think the hot, the, the most they led in this game was 12 by around the time when they started draining the clock as I'm looking through the play by play. Um, so when they were up 12, they start draining the clock. Uh, I also wouldn't have, I would not have liked this if they were up five, if they were up six, if it was still yeah. that kind of two possession game and they're, they're completely changing what got them into the lead. That's when I kind of have the problem with it. They were up so big though, that just mathematically it was going to be almost improbable for a poor shooting Towson team um, on the season to mount a comeback where they'd almost have to hit every single one of their shots every time they went down the court. Yeah. And they also lucked out a couple times. They did miss a couple and Amadi had some huge offensive rebounds that 
I guess they reset the clock to 20 now, 20, so you can't yeah. pull in the, the full shot clock, but he, they helps him burn another, you know, 15 to 20. So he did some nice things, five offensive rebounds for him, thought he was good. Uh, I also had one quick thing. Uh, Terrence Edwards has kind of, they mentioned his free throw shooting. He was over two in this one. He's got kind of a low percentage. This is just a random offhand comment. He has a lot of like motion in it. Um, like his motion. I don't know if you've noticed this with some free throw shooters that struggle. They like really bend their knees, like have the, all this motion when they don't shoot jumpers like that. And you look at like a Steph Curry where it's basically, it's like a dribble and you're like still and you shoot. I don't know if there's something actually there or not, but I was wondering if you've ever seen that like anecdotal evidence of like guys who struggle really try to like, all right, I got to focus on my form. And there's like tons of knee bending. Cause it seemed like, I mean, he starts like really low and moves and he's got a decent motion if you just like didn't move him. Coach Bennett uh, coaching up the free throw shooting. I it used- was just my thought. Cause they mentioned that he's like not shooting free throws. I was like, there's a lot of like moving parts there for a kid who has like a pretty normal stroke. I'll say times. this. I won't, I won't front here. Um, I've never really watched his free throw motion all that much. And overall, when free throws are happening, I don't really focus on the shooter as much as I do the shot, if that makes sense. But now that you bring this That's up, fair. I will 100% do it. Because I have this kind of this anecdotal theory, too, where you can tell if a three-point shot is going in just if you watch the shoot. Yes. So, like, I have a feeling it's kind of the same thing. Like, I'll be watching all these mid-major games. And I'll just watch the shooter on it. And I'm like, that's going in. And then nine times out of 10, it goes in. So I, I have a feeling it's probably the same idea that you have with free throws too. You can kind of just watch. And he and hasn't, like, you don't even have to watch the ball. He hasn't shot a ton of, of either. But to me, anytime you see he's four of 10 from three this year um, for 40%. And he's 11 that, of 25 for 40. That equals 40%. Four of 10 equals 40%. <laughs> well the comparison i mean he's shooting four percent better from the free throw line yeah like so i don't think he's i think there's like that should be like 40 percent better you know what i mean like i think he should like he's not a bad shooter and he's super athletic so i think there's maybe it's just kind of in his head and has a lot going on in the motion but yeah i don't know not the 40 percent from the relevant. floor 40 percent from three and 44 percent from free throws it if you're 40 percent from the field you should be 80 percent from the free throw line yeah, it's something where I'm interested because normally when we have a lot of fans who are like tweeted us and be like, you know, why Roe is a bad coach because their free throws didn't get better. Like it's a pure coaching thing when I don't think that's <laughs> totally fair because like there's a mental aspect of it and like the guy has to put in work on his own time. You can't just like our two hour practice today is free throws. Like <laughs> not when they have this many defensive issues. So um, but I think like that's something I'm interested to see how he gets better over his career and the rest of the season because he's a good athlete, really good player. And I think his shot can improve. Yeah. So, yeah. Interested to watch. Oh, and the last thing that kind of ties into women's basketball also, they did not have to play Towson on a back to back because of the CA, even though there's a million postponements, they want to make sure they, they honor the home and away with Towson. <laughs> um, whatever. But they didn't have to play those two games in a row. And I was really interested because women's basketball watched the second game and they got blown out by Elon after winning the first game. And the announcers were the student announcers kind of mentioned like they thought Jamie was fatigued, the women's basketball team. And they think that fatigue is a huge thing in the two days. They go a whole week without playing. Do you think fatigue is actually that big on the back-to-back days? I've heard a lot of this talk. I've heard some announcers say that fatigue is really big on back-to-backs. I've also, and like, that's why the Power Rangers is such a big thing for women's basketball because it just saves the legs for six minutes. But like, 
I've played like I know I'm I'm nowhere near the same level of athlete. I already love this take. <laughs> I don't know, like, and I, I I feel like you're gonna laugh at this. They're young. They're not 35 year old LeBron James is going out there playing back to back. They're at most 22 year olds going out there and playing back to back who probably go into UREC and on their off days play like. I don't think it's that crazy that they're that fatigued. I think what it comes down to is kind of maybe the turnaround and like playing the same team again. And that's always going to benefit the loser because you figured out, like, I think if anything, this helps the losing team because why is JMU fatigued, but Elon isn't, they played yesterday too. Yeah. Their, their argument, they were saying that Elon is deeper in JMU. Uh, can't keep up with the depth of them, which I thought was kind of a that's an interesting Elon, take. Elon student take, but that's okay. <laughs> I thought they did a nice job, but overall, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it discredits like the shape some of these players are in. Like to say that like you play games in back to back days, I don't remember that being as much of a talking point in like the battle for Atlantis. You know what I mean? Like these preseason tournaments where you play four games in a row. I think toward the end, but in like the first couple games, I don't think it just like sh- destroys the team. Like I don't think. Jamie lost to Elon by 22 points the second game because they were gassed. I think it's I think it I think it comes down to a lot of coaching adjustments, player adjustments in game or like within that 12-hour gap where they're resting. And on top of that, you don't really see that argument a lot during March Madness. I know they're not back to back, but what? They play the first two rounds game off game, right? If yeah. I'm remembering yeah, it. Like, yep, you just get the day off. So it's, it's, it's not as, it's not that crazy to me to play back to back. And that's what they, a lot of the CA stuff was right. They would do, um, men would do Thursday, Saturday, and women would do Friday, Sunday. It's not that different. I know you lose the recovery day in between, but I, I don't know. I just think like, I think it definitely is something that is worth monitoring and you especially as the season goes on, but I don't love the whole thing that like, oh, this completely changed the result. Like both teams are doing it. GMU on both. I'm not on both teams, maybe. I, they've got decent depth on both sides. Like, I don't fully buy the idea that, like, they're completely gassed and that's why they're struggling. I'm going to be very interested to see it like, against Northeastern with, on the men's side this weekend because Northeastern yeah. is, like, a far better team than JMU. So it's going to be we very – hit on – Yeah. We got to talk on that real quick before we get to, uh, get to the women's team. Yeah. So they're – also, College of Charleston, so that – um, that That's is postponed. Up. That's on the 30th and 31st of January. I don't know what kind of outbreak they've got going on that they're 10 days out there. They're out. Um, that doesn't sound great for whatever Probably just, they're going through. So I don't know. 10 days is a heck of a long time. I don't know. I guess maybe they all got contact trace and they're like, yeah, we're not gonna be ready to go in 10 days. Cause that's how long the contact tracing is or yeah. 14 days. So I guess that would make sense, but fingers crossed they're able to get healthy eventually. So right now it's scheduled to be Northeastern on the road this weekend and <laughs> good Lord, they're frightening. And then you've got Towson on Wednesday after that. But here's something I'm interested in mentioning is uh, top two team, top two CAA teams in the net this weekend. Who? You got Northeastern and then JMU's right behind. They're number two in the conference. <laughs> Wait, really? In the net ranking? Yeah. <laughs> You're lying. Yes. No, I've got to pull up. So it's Northeastern's at 132. There's a bit of a gap. Well, I would assume. At, one, at 132, JMU's at 160, UNCW's right there at 165, and then you've got a bunch of teams kind of trailing behind. 
Okay, this may be a stupid there. question considering I cover JMU with you. Is JMU really the second best team in the CAA? <laughs> I think the net rankings are skewed, and I think that one-point loss at VCU is carrying a ton of water. So I think that's kind of – I think that's what's helping them. That was a heck of a performance. You've got Ken Palm, Tyson Walker – right now is sort of who they see as the top player in the conference at Northeastern. And you got Matt Lewis right there at number two. So I'm excited for this matchup because both these teams, I think, I think Jamie is a lot better. What were they picked to finish ninth before the season started, even though yeah. Matt Lewis is like probably the most ready pro of anyone in the conference. Um, so I don't know. I think that I don't have high expectations for this game because this is- Northeastern plays really good defense, but they don't have, I was looking, they don't have a guy that I would consider like a frightening five. They have a lot of guys like JMU who are in that like six five to six eight range that are wings. So they're good. They're well coached and they're killing people. <laughs> they're they're okay, so I'm looking at their schedule right now. Their defense is ungodly good. Like, but okay, so they beat they had a interesting um I guess UMass is close to them. I don't really yeah. know Massachusetts um geography that well. So they played <laughs> it's at, all small. There's there's <laughs> They played at UMass and then home against UMass in a two-day period. They dropped the first one by 15, um, mm-hmm. and then they won the second one by three. So that's kind of a big A-10 win. Lost to Syracuse by six. They only allowed 62 points to Syracuse. ODU, a four-point loss, only allowed 66. Uh, lost to receiving votes Georgia by 20, by 18, but only allowed 76 lost to a uh, number nine ranked West Virginia, only allowed 73 points. And the most points they've allowed in conference play is 78 in an overtime win against Hofstra. They're really good. They play pretty slowly. They shoot the three well. They defend the three well. You know what this sounds like? I mean, like... Sounds like UVA in the CAA form. (laughs) They've got got some UVA to them, man. They're a good team, and I think you look at that like ODU close loss, Syracuse close loss. That gives me a little bit of of fear. And then to to beat Hofstra twice is something. Um, in a I guess a three day span, they had a little day off there. But then the wins over Charleston, they're good. I mean, they're really really good, and it's exciting for JMU to have this test early. I don't have high expectations. Um, they got to play better defense. Gonna have to hang in there, and they have to really embrace the the slower tempo because JMU typically runs at kind of a high pace. It's it's kind of contrasting styles here, where Northeastern plays really good defense and JMU does not, <laughs> which isn't really a style. But I don't know. It's a, it's a great matchup. I think Matt Lewis is going to have to be great, and it's a good test. They're not going to play a team um, who's really quite in that same Northeastern level all year long. So a good test. We'll obviously see what happens with the rest of the schedule with so many things changing, but. Hope, fingers crossed these games happen because it's a great opportunity for them to to play a good team and it would be nice to see JMU get a little something going in these kind of games because we've gone a long time since they were kind of contending in the league yeah while while you were saying all of that about how important this game is and whatnot I was looking up Northeastern where they rank nationally in defensive points allowed per game 124th which isn't too great but um they allow 68.2 points per game. And I think that 94 points they allowed to open the season is really skewing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. You've got that one. I don't, yeah. So they've allowed 
over 80 twice, but they've also held teams to under 50, I think three times. They've so never allowed. They, they play in that sort of. They've only allowed over 80 once, the 94. The overtime too, I guess, but I guess that probably wasn't in regulation. No, they didn't allow sure. over 80. No, they won that one. You're right. You're right. So they had. You got, you got so the scores flipped. I got my scores flipped. So they've only allowed 80 the one time. It's going to be interesting because JMU has scored 80. What? One, two, three, four, <laughs> five times. Most of those are against like not Division One schools. But I mean, they scored 81 against VCU. Scored 79 against Florida Atlantic. They scored 80. I mean, they scored at least 70 points in, in their last however many that is. One, two, three, four games against D1 teams. So like JMU likes to go fast and score and shoot and they're going to have to really value their possessions in this one. It's a, it's a heck of a test, man. Northeastern is clearly the team to beat right now in the, in the CAA. Here's my um, hashtag analysis on this game. JMU oh. doesn't turn the ball over, and if they make their shots, they win. <laughs> that is actually pretty good because when they don't turn the ball over, they are, they're pretty good. Yeah, I, like, I'm being honest. Like As stupid as that analysis sounds, like of course if they don't turn the ball over and – and hit their shots but like northeastern's going to drain they're, they're going to yes. play the slow burn so if they can make the most out of each opportunity and not turn the ball over and then on top of that hit their shots because what you, they've been shooting like 80 shots a game they're probably only going to have 50 or 60 in this game so you have to you're not going to be able to to just keep jacking up shots you have to be methodical and make sure you're getting the perfect shot each time down the court. It's going to be a test for 40 minutes. And I do think it'll go one-on-one one this weekend. That is my bold prediction. I think JMU – Really? I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to put you on the spot. I think, I think they're going to get destroyed in the first game, though. <laughs> I think they're going to lose by 20 in game one. And I think they'll come back. And then they'll rally. And win in like, like, like three against Northeastern in the second one. But it's tough because Northeastern beat Hofstra, the team we thought was like the best team in the CAA – beat them like both games which is hard in and of itself it's pretty good Hofstra's a solid team and they've kind of gone up and down but they're they are a solid basketball team so to do that twice is is awfully impressive I'm excited for these games I kind of I kind of with you I want to believe that they're going to get one of the games uh we'll see what happens it would it would certainly be awesome to see them get going my main thing I just want to see them improve I want to see Matt Lewis continue to be the top player in the conference I want to see the I want to see the defense get better Defense has got to get better, and it's gonna. It, I think. I think this one might give us false hope of the defense being better because they play so slowly. Like I think it's gonna be a low. There'll be fewer points. Yeah, that we're, we're like we're gonna have to. Even just watching it, like they may shoot like thirty percent. Like who? Like who knows? The defense. Maybe the defense plays better when it's slow. We'll see. But I think I don't think we can definitively say the defense is good or bad based off of this series. Like this is kind of like. You're playing no, a better gonna, team. Go out there and, yeah. and play. Like if VC, if they beat VCU, I wouldn't have been thumping my chest saying this is like that. That that's a game against a great opponent. Like anything that comes out of that isn't true. Yeah, so we're gonna need to see them step up and, and be more consistent the rest of the way. But I'm excited to watch the rest of the season because I think they have a chance to, at the very least, be better than last year. And I think they have a legitimate chance to not be in the pillow fight where no. it's what is it yeah. seven through ten play. Yeah, I'd like to see him finish in the top six. I, I I fully believe that can happen. Well, there we go. We're all in on the team now, guys. We're on the bandwagon. They won one conference game. We're in. All right, women's basketball bandwagon. Women's basketball looks a little shaky at times, but as you continuously say, this is the perfect pandemic team. 
women's basketball is six and four, two and one in conference, and they're coming off of a 22-point loss to Elon after beating them by 12 the day before. What do you see out of game yeah, one? What do you see out of game two? They don't break your heart with their losses. You know, all four have come by at least 16 points. <laughs> so you know what's coming pretty early. So I guess that's good. Um, first game, I thought they were pretty gutsy because it was kind of in doubt at the end of the third quarter and the Power Rangers, that group of five who doesn't play a lot, came in, did some nice things. Nikki Oppenheimer had a couple of good games and shot the ball well. Um, I thought they all played decently when they were able to come in. So they rallied there, one by 12, scored 49 points in the second half. Their offense looked amazing and they came out in game two i thought they looked kind of flat on the sunday game uh they were not playing the way that they can play defensively they gave up 77 points defensively i mean they really couldn't stop elon and that's something we haven't seen in the past so it's a it's a solid offensive team they have different weapons uh, but they struggled a little bit in that second game it was kiki jefferson peyton mcdaniel and nobody else could really get going and when you don't have consistency and you're struggling to shoot the ball and Turned it over 24 times in that second game. There was no chance of a comeback. They just couldn't do it. And, and defensively, they gave up at least 20 points in three of the four quarters, which just won't cut it. So defensively, they need to get a lot better. Um, I will say Coach O, I think, virtually tried to help come up with some adjustments, but he was not there for either game. I think that you're on the road. You don't have your coach. It's a little bit different. So I think when they get him back, which is now he is back, I think that'll certainly help. Uh, but yeah, they've got a long way to go, especially defensively. They have really good, talented young players with a lot of athleticism. But they're not rotating the way they need to. They're not defending the ball the way they need to. So a lot of room for defensive growth. I think this is the youngest team JMU has had since, I think probably both of us have become JMU fans. Um, and I, th I feel like we say it every week, offense is something that isn't really you don't have to learn it as much as you do especially the defense jam you run so like they're going to be a good offensive team for the most part they'll have these games where they're kind of slow and in past years jamu's defense would make up for those games like it was it was normal to see jamu win a 50 to 40 type of game um and it was also normal to see them win an 80 to 50 type of game um so defense it's, it's going to be i think this year is kind of a wash like this is just great practice reps for them I think they have the capability of running with everyone in the CAA, but I also think they have the capability of losing to anyone in the CAA. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the conference slate goes. Uh, Elon's a team that they had gone a while without playing, but they're not a bad, not a bad team at all. Um, I think they're a solid conference team. So it's not like a, an embarrassing loss or anything. The other thing that stands out is you look at these standings. William and Mary has four losses already in conference play. Hofstra has four losses in conference play. Northeastern has three. UNCW has two. Towson's a really good team. They're all in one. They've only played that game against JMU before having a, a COVID issue. Charleston hasn't even played a conference game. So, I mean, that's kind of what stands out to me is like, you know, Delaware 6-0. and They're kind of running away with the thing early. Nine um, I don't know exactly. Overall. Yeah, I don't know exactly who they played, but they've got some players. I think they – I want to say it was Delaware. They might have had someone who dropped 37 <laughs> in a game the other day. So Delaware is legit, and Drexel should be solid. But I don't think there's like – I don't know. You look at JMU, like they're young, and they're going to lose some games. But everyone in this conference is going to lose some games. I don't think Delaware is going to go undefeated. And the other thing, I think we've talked about this. Delaware and Drexel are combined 9-1 in conference play. 
And we've talked about how we think those are two, or at least we've definitely talked about Drexel being a good team. Yeah. Delaware has made it clear that Delaware is a good team. JMU ends the season right now, the way it's scheduled, Delaware and then Drexel. So I think that sets up very nicely for them to make a little push because they'll probably be playing their best basketball. Again, the COVID stuff is probably going to, all this can become irrelevant in like an hour. But the way, you know. times that's happened. It's so many times. But the way that, you know, the schedule sets up right now, I think is solid where they'll play them in a month, uh, Delaware and then Drexel. That's a heck of a day for JMU sports. My goodness. They'll open the college football spring season on the February 20th and then they'll host Delaware women's basketball at the bank. Chance to be, uh, you know, top tier showing with those teams. What are the men's team doing that day? They're probably playing out Delaware, right? Is that how this dumb thing works? Yes, it is. <laughs> At the same time, what is that? All right, sorry. <laughs> that kind of pissed me this, off this They weekend. did this over the weekend. They overlapped the games. I was ticked. No, that was annoying. But Super annoying. That's yeah, basically my take is I think they're going to play their best basketball toward the end. It sets up well with the two good teams at the end. Um, yeah, I think they'll have a chance to – they play Northeastern because that's how this works with the weird flippage. Is it at the same time? Oh, my – they both overlap. It's so <laughs> that drives me crazy that they can't schedule it out for fans of the same team. Why don't you schedule one tips off at one, one tips off at three? Right? Instead, they've got they're playing at Northeastern and men's at noon, and the women's team tips off at one at home. Why would they not schedule that differently so fans who subscribe to Flow Sports and are paying twelve dollars for this thing can watch the team that they're no one's paying for flow because they love the conference. No one's like, I'm just looking forward to a day of CA basketball. Like you're a fan of the school. This oh. this podcast has turned into more complaining than I ever thought it would for this one. And it's not Flo's about men's me. basketball. It's about flow sports. It was it was bound to happen that we had a podcast complaining about flow sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else you need to add about women's basketball? I mean, you you kind of hit all my takes on the head too. They they looked solid against Elon game one. The, the game was in doubt at times, um, but they, they pulled away late and just kind of flexed their muscle and, and showed what this team can be, especially in the second half. And then game two, they showed what this team can be and just laid an egg. Um, Kiki's not, not shooting well from behind the arc. I think she's tw- around 25%. Um, that has to improve for this team to kind of take that next jump, but she's still balling from inside the arc shooting 45% there, which is great. And I guess if you're shooting that well from inside, there's not as much as a, necessity to to jack up threes as mcdaniel's draining them too um this team's great offensively they're talented offensively and it's the defensive side that needs to catch up and we probably won't see that until next season yeah realistically i mean you look at the players kiki's a sophomore Peyton mcdaniel's a freshman rain tucker's a sophomore i believe um hazel is a freshman and then steph oderkirk has also see, received some legitimate minutes as a freshman like they've got a bunch of players who haven't played much college basketball and didn't have like quite the same traditional preseason. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of things that go differently there. So I think they're going to get a lot better. They have the athleticism to defend. It's just, they're not always in the right spot. Yeah. They just don't have the the coaching, not saying that coach was not doing it right. I'm just saying like they haven't perfected the rotations and, and the movement off ball. Exactly, exactly. So I think they'll eventually get there, and they also need to get better about taking care of the ball. But some of that is, 
you know, we have these high expectations because we're used to seeing these like juniors and seniors and you kind of just assume with how good these players are that they are. And you're like, what are they doing turning it over? And then you're like, oh, it's her eighth game of her college career. Like, It's her really first conference game ever. It, yeah, exactly. Like they started, you know, the, <laughs> they got the Towson win and then they go with a big break in between games too. You know, they had played, what, 13 days or something without a game and then no Coach O. So I won't read too much into it. I think they've got a chance to get better. The schedule sets up kind of nicely. I like this team. Got some pieces. Yep. I wish there was more info um, in terms of, you know, how we've got the advanced diehard Ken Palm basketball reference stats on Matt Lewis and all the pace and how that all works. Much harder to get because it's not really available in the women's game, which is kind of frustrating. So when we analyze them, I feel like we always go a little bit shorter. And most of that is because we – are relying solely on our eyes and not data. Yeah, there's so, not really – If somebody wants to create that. Yeah, we, we, we look at box scores and we watch games and we, and we talk about what we saw and what the box score says. But, like, yeah, men's basketball, we have the net rankings and where they stack up and who's the best per 48 on the men's team and, and how that extrapolates out to X, Y, and Z. But women's, it's like – They do – the only thing they have, they do have women's net. Let me pull that up. Let's okay. at least get our women's net. Oh, you have to guess where they rank in the CA before I find it. Do you think they'll lead the conference? And if so, where do you put them in the? They're going to be second in the conference, and they're going to be in the mid to upper 100s. Falling away, folks. Good radio. <laughs> Which is crazy because they open this season receiving votes. Okay, what did you say? You put I them said away. they're going to be second in the CAA in the mid to upper – by upper, I mean like 100 – they're going to be in the 100 to 150 range. They are fifth in the CAA. What? In the net. Isn't that crazy? Fifth in the net. It Who's goes ahead Delaware. Of- would, Delaware is at 62. Towson at one. 116. They're number one. Towson at 116. Drexel at 143. Elon at 157. And then Jamie at 176. I'm very surprised by the gap between Jamie and Elon being about 20. I'm surprised that they're that low considering they received votes to start the season. Hey, net ranking. Totally different. All right. Okay. I think it's the margin of the margin of victory is part of it, I think. So when you've got you know, a 40-point loss to Maryland, a 30-point loss to West Virginia, and then a big blowout loss to Buffalo. It's not helping. They've got some tighter wins, but – and they then the 22-point loss to Elon. They'll, they'll start racking up some wins. I think they'll surge up the, the net. They have a negative point differential right now just because of those losses. Anything yep, else you so need to add about uh, women's basketball before we wrap it up? No, that's about it. Looking forward to this weekend. Fingers crossed that both teams can play at their overlapping times. Thank you, Flow Sports. All right. That's enough uh, complaining about Flow Sports. Check us out on Twitter where we complain more about Flow Sports at JMU Sports News uh, on Twitter. Check us out on our home on the web at www.jmusportsnews.com. We should be having a Matt Lewis uh, appreciation article that I completely forgot to write. That'll be coming in the coming days. Um check us out on facebook you can find this full podcast in video form um with cool backgrounds sometimes cool graphics um 
different stuff going on on Facebook. Watch, type in JMU Sports News in the search bar at the top of Facebook, and you can check us out there. Get uh, cool stuff happening on Facebook. Um, and I think that's it. Subscribe to us on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever. Um, give, subscribe, give us five stars. That would be greatly appreciated. And I think that's all of the housekeeping stuff I have to hit for Bennett Conlon. My name's Jack Fitzpatrick. We can't wait for this weekend when men's tip off at noon and women's tip off at one. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.